Hello everyone, my name is Adam, and welcome into this week's trip down the homeward path. Before we get into things, I've got a few questions. Are you a fan of Magic the Gathering? Presumably so, since you're here listening to a podcast about it, but, you know, what do I know? But is there something else in your life that takes precedence? Keeps you away from your magical aspirations? A job, a career, partner, spouse, children, any and all of the above. Listen, I'm right there with you. I have a wonderful wife, three children, full-time job, and a lot of extracurricular commitments that make it really difficult to devote the amount of time, finance, and energy that high-level competitive magic normally takes. But in spite of that, are you, like me, relentlessly seeking improvement every time you get a chance to play? If that sounds like something you're interested in, then I suggest you hop in and buckle up. Now let's go for a ride. But it's a good time to remind you that we are brought to you by the following sponsors. PureMTGO.com is one of the largest depositories of magic content on the web. They've got a little bit of something for absolutely everyone. And I do mean everyone. So head over there, check out their collection of stuff. While you're at it, I understand that the arena grind can feel like a bit of a slog, especially if, like me, you're traditionally at least a free-to-play player. But thanks to our sponsor at Grey Viking Games, you don't have to wander the wilderness in search of your glory on your own. You can head over there and find access to pre-release codes, single-pack codes, cosmetics, promo packs, uh, card sleeves, any and all of the above. So go and find your glory at GreyVikingGames.com. And if you want to support this show in a much more direct fashion, don't forget to head over to Patreon.com slash HomerPathMTG. This show is always going to be free, but if you like what we're doing enough to help us keep doing it, go over become a patron and take advantage of your rewards and if you've got questions comments or concerns about the show or you just want to talk you can find me on twitter i'm at homeward path mtg you can find me on facebook my name is adam spain like the country yes i got picked on about that for most of my life and you can join the conversation in the facebook group the homeward pathfinders So, head over, check all that stuff out, while you continue to listen on the Homeward Path. Hope everybody had a good week. Uh, We are finally, mercifully, back on schedule. So, (laughs) let's get things kicked off with Budget Spotlight. Budget Spotlight, this week we're looking at a rare, an uncommon, a rare, and a mythic that I think are worth quite a bit more than the price you're paying for them. First on the list is our uncommon Sprite Dragon. Sprite Dragon is a blue and a red for a 1-1 with flying and haste. And every time you cast a non-creature spell, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. So, 
right out of the gates, this thing is the best grow creature basically ever, right? Because you get that little bit of chip damage right away, and then the more powerful the format becomes, i.e. the better the cheap spells are, the better this thing is. Look no further than the difference between how good it is in formats like Standard, where it's currently still legal, versus how good it is in a format like Modern or Legacy, where free spells are everywhere. It is a massive jump in power level between the two, and I don't really think that's overstating things. I know it's a lot for an uncommon. Uh, the price tag on this sits somewhere around $4. But this thing puts in work. This card works harder than I do, okay? <laughs> it is phenomenal once it gets rolling. And even, even if it never does, that's another card out of your opponent's hand away from some of your other things. I apologize for the rumble strips. Moving on, our next card on the list, our rare for this week's budget spotlight, is a pet favorite of mine right now, Dreadhorde Arcanist. Now, for those of you who have never played this card or never seen this card, first of all, you clearly have not been playing Historic. Second of all, it is one in a red, buys you a 1-3 with Trample. And whenever it attacks, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever it attacks, you may cast an instant or sorcery with mana value equal to or less than this creature's power without paying its mana cost. So you just cast the thing. I mean, we were just talking about how good free spells are. Turns out free spells are really, really good. And in the case of Dreadhorde Arcanist, you can kind of double up on it, depending on deck construction. It's arguably my favorite engine card ever. You know, I missed out on Snapcaster Mage before it became super expensive and unwieldy to get a hold of. Dreadhorde Arcanist still hasn't got there yet. It's still sitting at around a $3 price tag because it's a creature that normally you need to untap with to get value out of. You either need to have it along with a haste enabler or you need to have it and untap with it. It's also by virtue of the fact that you don't get to cast, you don't get to choose your timing. It's obviously worse with instance. So it's a worse Snapcaster Mage, but for like a tenth of the price. So I'll take it. Uh, if you've got cheap spells on your agenda, this card is right for you. I mean, whether you're playing it in Historic or Pioneer with Thoughtseize, Inquisition, um, Crash Through, uh, <laughs> One Mana Burn Spell Number Whatever, or even dipping into formats like Modern where you can really do some truly absurd things with this card because of how it works. For example, you can use this to cast the uh, Mana Value Zero Suspend cards. Like Ancestral Vision. Like 
Profane Tutor from Modern Horizons 2. Like Gaia's Will from Modern Horizons 2. That's absurd. You mean to tell me all I gotta do is attack with this little thing and I just unlock my entire graveyard? Okay. That seems fair. I don't know why, but apparently that's fair. Let's do it. You know, it's just really good. You know, Ancestral Vision's good. The uh, the fixed green one, the green one that's not banned and whose name I can't remember that makes the Rhino tokens. You can cast that one. Most of the rest of them are probably out of the range of things you'd want to do in a deck with Dreadhorde Arcanist. Like, I don't think you want a Living End with a Dreadhorde Arcanist in your deck. And I really don't think you want to Restore Balance with a Dreadhorde Arcanist in your deck. But... You might want a Wheel of Fate. Ancestral Vision. I mean, Profane Tutor, Gaia's Will. There's so many of these that are just utterly absurd when cast out of your graveyard for free. No waiting on suspend, just get it. All you gotta do is get it in there in the first place. And last but not least, we're, we're cutting Budget Spotlight a little bit shorter than normal this week to give a little bit more time to the main topic. Our last card this week is Oxivagonus. Oxivagonus is three and double red for a 4-2. When it enters the battlefield, discard your hand and draw three. And then it has escape for double red and exile eight other cards from your graveyard. And it escapes with a plus one, plus one counter on it. So, there's a little bit to unpack here. This card kind of continues the proud lineage of Bedlam Reveler without having to be in your hand. And what I mean by that is you don't mind milling this with Stitcher Supplier or whatever your mill engine in your deck is. You don't mind discarding this to something like a Burning Inquiry. Short of Croxa and Uro, this is the best escape creature. I, I don't think it's particularly close. It fits in nicely as a curve topper that just reloads your hand. Like, even in standard, where, again, this thing is still legal somehow and not seeing a ton of play, if any. Even in standard, it's a five drop that probably just draws three in your red deck. Or if your opponent's playing rogues, it's a two-drop that comes out of your graveyard that turns off all their best cards. It makes Drown in the Lock worse, it makes Into the Story worse, and it powers down Thieves Guild Enforcer and uh, Soaring Thought Thief. It's just really good. Even if it doesn't resolve, even if they have the counterspell, you just eight, eight cards out of your graveyard. Made it that much harder for those cards to do their job. It also has synergy with both players, discard and or mill effects. It's got amazing synergy with a card like Collective Brutality in Pioneer, where you can discard it to pay Escalate, and then Collective Brutality is another card in the graveyard to serve to fuel your ox later on. 
and it's just all around a very good magic card and I would wager it's probably pretty good in commander too because it has the ability nay the 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 feature of being a graveyard creature that draws cards and we know how good those are in commander too yes it says discard your hand but if you're playing sire of insanity anyway it doesn't really much matter if you're using cards in your hand to fuel things it doesn't really much matter so ox of Agonis, i know this is above what i would normally consider part of the budget spotlight series it clocks in at eight dollars but this is a card you want like two of You don't play four ox. You play two. You don't want to draw too many of them. They're really bad. They're kind of awkward in multiples. You know, it's it it's got the Bedlam Rebeler thing when it comes to operating from your hand. With the upside of just you know, you can just cast it for five mana if the other the cheaper, easier mode never turns up. all the way around worthwhile investment at eight dollars even though it's a little bit higher than we would normally want to pay and considering bedlam revelers at a dollar like 250 but i think this is enough better to justify the price job so moving on main topic i called the episode eternal spotlight of the preoccupied mind and i did that because let's face it when it comes to an investment perspective for Magic the Gathering, if you're, if you're playing Magic on a budget, you want to get the most value out of your dollars. The place to invest in is Eternal Format. Standard is just not good if you're trying to invest money in cards because you keep having to turn over the collection. And I should probably point out before we dive too deep into this that when I'm talking about Eternal Formats, I'm talking about the ones that I play. So, Pioneer, Modern, Historic, Pauper. And I leave the Pauper discussion largely to the experts over common knowledge. That, that's their thing. I'm not... That's not doing a thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not taking their... Not trying to steal their thunder. So, Eternal Formats look unbelievably complex on the surface there's a lot of available cards decks play styles and depending on your finances choosing a deck framework to work with can be really daunting especially if you're porting in from standard on top of this sideboards feel hard to pin down due to the huge amount of things you have to consider you know if you're used to standard you're used to maybe four really really good decks and then like a bunch of miscellaneous stuff that you're gonna have a lot of overlap between your sideboard cards. It's not really the case once you start making the formats more powerful. How is that different from standard? Again, standard typically only has a handful of decks showing up in a double digit percentage. As such, even in new locations, you know, if you're traveling around to different stores or you go on a trip and just happen to go into a store you have an idea of what you're up against eternal formats tend to have a much larger spread of viable options even if there's a clear best deck a really good example 
is during the Hogog format, I never played against it. I, I cannot tell you how good that deck was because I never played against it. I played like four modern events locally that summer and never played against Hogok because nobody brought it. Nobody wanted to invest in it, but that's that's a topic for another video. Uh, but it was just it was an interesting take to consider that you know I'm I'm working on these decks I really like these decks I'm playing and they feel like they're good here but if I were going to take them to an event and I knew Hogak was going to be there I wouldn't take that deck and honestly if we had showed up with Hogak we probably would have destroyed it but like I, I'm always I'm, I'm going to do an episode about this later but I'm always a little bit leery of investing in decks that feel like I'm playing a different game. Because for me, if I'm going to invest in a deck, I want to be able to play it for a long time, and those are the kinds of decks that get banned into oblivion, and I have to figure out what to do with all these extra cards. Um, but this place is the onus when it comes to, to picking decks. On specialization and mastery rather than on metagaming. Yes, you absolutely can be paying attention to metagame trends, go to a massive event, pick the right deck for the right weekend, for the right environment, slay that thing. But, I don't know that it's necessarily worth the, worth the effort to try to do that. Because the, the, the reality of most of the Eternal formats is, even when there's a best deck, you can get there with something worse. That's technically true in Standard, but it's especially true in Eternal formats where the average deck power level is just higher. So your efforts tend to be more valuable, like your, your time invested in learning a deck and your dollars invested in picking one up tend to be better off upgrading the one you have, getting some, you know, if you've got an option to splash a color into it that you didn't have before, to gain a little bit of an edge in the mirror, you can do that. But, like, getting completely out of it and into something else is a little bit questionable because of the value of what you've already invested into it. I know it feels like I'm making a sunken cost fallacy, and saying, like, you've already put all this time and effort and money into learning this deck, and it seems silly to get rid of it. And I would never discourage anybody from making that call. But especially when it comes to formats like Modern, if you're really good at your deck, it almost doesn't matter what you play. So how do we narrow down the field to, to figure out a good starting point? You gotta realize that eternal formats are less about individual archetypes, less about what each individual deck does, like down to the individual card choice level, and much more about how they balance each other out. What role do they play within the scope of the format? Then it's a matter of picking your roles. What are these roles? Well, I put down three of them. 
There's technically a fourth, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The first role is the degenerate or fun deck. I, I, I use the terms interchangeably here because the people that are playing them think they're fun, and the people that are trying to beat them think they're degenerate. You seek to leverage a specific resource in a manner that either generates a massive advantage or just wins the game outright. Hogak was a degenerate deck. Is it Phoenix? With Thing in the Ice and then Young Pyromancer after sideboard? Once it became like a stripped down linear deck, was a degenerate deck. Storm is a degenerate deck. Um, you are largely, you know, to, so to clarify, when I say a resource, I mean card mechanics are things like synergy engines that develop overwhelmingly quickly. Fast mana. Tron's a degenerate deck. Seven drops on turn three are really, really, really obnoxiously powerful, it turns out. And being able to do that fairly consistently is the hallmark of a degenerate strategy. Uh, Titan Shift tries to be a degenerate deck. It's very good. It's, it's not on the level of some of the other ones. But at its core, it's a degenerate deck. You're seeking to largely kind of ignore what your opponent's doing. Because if they're trying to play you fair, they're going to get their teeth kicked in. These decks seek to force the opponent into specific, narrow answers to avoid dying. When I say that, like, Storm requires you to have a combination of different disruptive elements for it to even matter that you have counter spells. Um, Hogak required you to have graveyard hate. You could not just kind of one for one your way through that matchup. Even after they banned Alter. Same goes for Phoenix. You couldn't just try to one for one your way through that matchup. Because there was always the threat of them just chaining three things together and getting back a bunch of birds and you die. It's, it's a hallmark of basically every Eternal format. Even, you know, moving away from Modern, the Inverter deck was a degenerate deck. Yes, you could win games that you didn't get the degenerate thing you wanted to do. But if your end goal in most of your games is to flip your library upside down and then just win the game by resolving Thassa's Oracle, your deck's probably degenerate. If your goal in Lotus Breach is to do the same thing, cast all the spells out of your deck, cast Thassa's Oracle, win the game. Tainted Pact and Historic, degenerate deck. Because you are creating a sense of inevitability. Your goal in the game is to win the game outright no matter what the opponent has done to that point. That's degenerate. Moving on, the second group I call the Fun Police decks. These are the decks that want to cut off the resource advantages used by the degenerate decks force them to play a more typical 
quote-unquote fair and balanced game of magic. These are the mid-range and control decks of the format. And I don't say mid-range and mean like standard mid-range decks, which tend to be, you know, amalgamations of three, four, and five drop creatures and good removal spells and kind of straddling the line between aggro and control. No, these are by and large in eternal formats more reactive decks that have a couple of proactive threats and then you just sometimes get enough combination of a disruption element one or two of those threats and you can run away with the game They usually function by combining an array of disruption, removal, and card advantage, and can be postured to be proactive or reactive. A really good example of a deck that is fun police, but proactive is spirits. Because a card like Spell Queller is a really good disruptive tool. A card like Lofty Denial is a really good disruptive tool while you're beating your opponent to death with stupid flying spirits. But that deck is not good because it's good against aggro. It's not good because it's necessarily good against control. It's good because of the, the value you get out of being able to cut off a key spell from an opponent trying to go over the top of you. And that just kind of takes their legs out from under them and you can close it out from there. They comprise the most adaptive playstyles. You're going in, you know, if you're going in with a degenerate deck, you're just kind of asking the opponent to have a thing. Do you have Leyline? Do you have Rest in Peace? Do you, you know, let's go ahead and get sideboarded and let's see if you've got this figured out. For the Fun Police decks, you're going in saying, oh, what are you up to and how do I need to deal with that? And these are decks like Jund and Modern. These are decks like uh, Arcanist, Thoughtseize variants in Historic and Pioneer. These are the uh, the Boros Monarch decks in Pauper. You're just kind of trying to knock them down to your level and beat them with experience. You want to make them play a game of Magic similar ironically when you go up against one of the degenerate decks your goal is the same as theirs you want to make them play a game of magic they're not prepared to win and last but not least at least in the ones that i wrote down we have the role i call sort of policing the police these decks seek to exploit specific builds of the the previous category the fun police preying on specialized removal and disruption, which is to say if the reactive decks become too inbred against degenerate things, more traditional proactive decks can just come in and knock their faces in. Mono reds, you know, burn. Mono red aggro. Gruel. Believing in the cleave. Zoo. Bushwhacker decks humans these are the decks that would normally if the control decks or the reactive decks in the metagame 
knew they were there, didn't have to worry so much about the degenerate things, and they had room to worry about you, they wouldn't have a terribly tough time with you. They, you know, you could steal a game here or there, but it's the kind of deck that it's the kind of deck that you can beat when you want to, but you have to want to. These decks play to leverage tempo and force the degenerate decks, like their game plan in the, the fun police matchups is to exploit the fact that they don't have enough removal. Make them have it. Make them answer. Make them do. Put them on the back foot. Make them have an answer. When it comes to their the way they handle the degenerate deck matchups, they want to make the opponent combo off under pressure. Maybe you make the opponent take a turn off, like try to go off a turn early because they're going to die if they don't. You operate from a mindset of make them have it. And these are decks like Mono Red, like Gruel, like the various forms of Embercleave decks, the sort of the Death Shadow Zoo deck, the, the hyper-aggressive Jun deck that wants to use a Thought Seize as much as a tool to lower its own life total as it is a tool to weaken the opponent's grip on the game. You want to use Death Shadow plus Team or Battle Rage to close the game out really quick. But it's also a deck like Mono Blue Tempo. It's a deck like Boggles or Auras in Pioneer and Historic. Where you're doing a thing that is very specialized... It's less degenerate than it is just really frustrating to try to beat when you don't have the right removal. You don't have the right interaction. Again, these are decks you absolutely can beat if you want to. If you play enough Edict effects, the Aura's decks are kind of an easy matchup. Or if you play Board Wipes, the Aura's decks can be a pretty easy matchup. But when you play Burn Spells to kill creatures... It can be pretty rough. When you play only spot removal against a deck packed to the gills with dive downs and Karametra's blessings, you're going to have a bad time. So at its core, those are the three main roles. You have the decks that want to do something unreasonable and unfair. You have the decks that are built to beat them. And then you have the ones that are built to beat those. So, and then the fourth would be the, like, weird prison decks, like the, the, bl the, the Blue Moon variants or the Lantern Control, or the, they're, they're, more they're more of an epidemic when it comes to formats like Modern and Back, where they seek to just stop you from playing Magic altogether. Landish, you know, Ponza decks fall into this category. Lantern Control. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. But 
you know, decks that are seeking to put the opponent into sort of a lock state, they are not typical, and they are they are not the kinds of decks I really wanted to devote a ton of time to talking about. At least not yet. So with that in mind, all that said, what am I playing? Because, you know, we're talking about all these things, talking about knowing your roles. Let's put it into practice, shall we? There are two primary deck engines that I'm playing in Eternal Formats. First and foremost are the, the Mono Red or Is It Prowess decks. In Pioneer, it's leaning toward Mono Red versus... Or I guess in, in Pioneer, it's leaning towards Is It versus Mono Red where in modern it just kind of depends on what I'm up against and what kind of sideboard cards I want to have access to. But you operate from the policing the police standpoint, you want to be a proactive, aggressive red deck that beats their face in. Makes them have removal for small, aggressive creatures. You marry powerful one and two drop prowess creatures with burn spells and card draw cantrips in particular it the the leaping quality between is it prowess and pioneer and mono red prowess in modern is ridiculous uh manamorphose is a, a really good magic card lava dart is an amazing magic card gut shot is a very good magic card like there's a lot of stuff to choose from you gain a semblance of a grind game with cards like Dreadhorde Arcanist plus burn spells or cantrips to be able to use your burn spells on creatures, just keep attacking, get that little bit of incidental value out of burning away another creature, getting another attack phase in, and just kind of keeping up the pressure that way. And then obviously if you're playing the Is It version, you get access to an obnoxious opening sequence where you can play a Soul Scar Mage or a Swift Spear on turn one, then play Manamorphose into Stormwing Entity on turn two. And now if they don't have Bolt, they might be dead. Because you've attacked for two, and you can go like, attack for you know, send everybody, wait for blocks, and then you go like Metamorphose, make double red, bolt, lava dart, lava dart, gut shot, and they just die. So, like the it it's no, it's it's a very proactive approach to the game of magic. It keeps things nice and streamlined and simple. That was an ambulance. Apologies. But it, it gives you a starting point. It gives you a, a deck that's relatively easy to play. Most of your 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 uh, mental fortitude is burnt out on doing math. The other archetype that I that I tend to play around with a lot are the Rakdos, and I call it Rakdos adjacent Arcanist decks. I love these decks. I don't know how good they are, but it kind of feels like 
the the description Osip Lebedowitz had about Blue Red Tron at Pro Tour Honolulu 2006. It's not good against anything, but it's not really bad against anything either. Like there's a couple of cards that'll do a number on you, but it's not gonna it, it it's not gonna get run over obnoxiously by much of anything. It gives you a chance to win every game. As I said, the in Pioneer Modern, the Rakdos version is, and I capitalized the word fine and put a trademark symbol after it. It's fine. You marry Thoughtseize to cheap removal, village rights, and young pyromancer, or, you know, depending on how proactive you want to be, you can actually marry that engine to your prowess creatures from the above example. But regardless, it's it's a simple approach to the game of magic. Right? Take cards out of their hand. Keep taking cards out of their hand. Make them assemble the combo from the top of their deck. Grind them out. There's also a possibility down the line, I don't know about it in uh, Pioneer or Modern, although Modern I guess you still get a lot, especially now that you get gay as well, but the draw to a Splash Color for me is in Historic where you get access to Abundant Harvest for Jund, which is just an absolutely absurd cantrip for one mana. And Domri's Ambush and or Atarka's Command provide a lot of value because you can cast them twice right away just like you do any of your other spells. But create a massive change in the board position from that. Like, ambush my Arcanist, put two damage on your Lovestruck Beast, attack ambush my Arcanist, kill your Lovestruck Beast... Now I can cast three drops out of my graveyard and it's got enough toughness to live through Chandra Tortured Defiance. That's pretty good. Cast Abundant Harvest, attack Cast Abundant Harvest again. That's pretty good. Gives you both a land drop for next turn and some guaranteed gas. It's really good. Atarka's Command twice can either clear out a gummed up board Or just kill your opponent out of nowhere. Like, everybody gets plus one, plus one to end a turn is a big deal in a deck with cards like Young Pyromancer and or Sedgemore Witch. So, I love this archetype, but I don't know how good it is. So the outlook for this, the reason I play these, is because they operate from a position of simplicity. The mental effort I exhaust piloting my deck is relatively low so I get to spend most of it in game trying to figure out what my opponent's doing my actual play patterns are very simple my outs are pretty clearly defined the ways that I win the game are pretty straightforward although there have been some cute plays in the Arcanist deck involving claim the firstborn and either Croxa or Arcanist that have proven very interesting and Still just a little bit stimulating enough to keep me coming back. But from a from an investment perspective, I mean, 
Monoridden is at Prowess are two of the cheapest decks you can build in Modern. Two of the cheapest decks you can build in Pioneer. If we ever get Swift Spear on Arena, I'm going to play it. It's just really, really good. It's really good, y'all. It's really good. So, that's all I have for this week. Again, thanks for tuning in. I'm glad to be back on schedule the way we're supposed to be. <laughs> uh, we've been having a lot of trouble with that of late. Just kind of keeping my head on straight, keeping everything going the way it's supposed to, and uh, finding the right time without it getting interrupted by something else someone needs me to do. Uh, but I'm glad to get that out of there. If you've got anything you want to get off your chest aimed at me, you can do it on Twitter at HomewardPathMTG. You can do it on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. You can join the conversation in the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. You can, uh, sorry, you can, if you're a patron of the show, you get access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord, where we're generally talking about episode topics and like brews of the week and that kind of thing. And that's all I got. So let's let's move on to the segment we all love, if I can get it to pull up. There it is. Latest. If you know me, you know I love to laugh. You know I love telling really horrible jokes. So when it came time to do a social media outreach program, this one was this one was not hard to decide on. Did I do that one already? Yeah, I did that one already. So first one was was I was tagged by Brad in a thread, and this entire thread is glorious. Dockside extortionist gets hypnotized into thinking they're a chicken. Boxside extortionist. Dockside extortionist takes refuge in Scotland, luring tourists on cryptid hunting tours. Lockside extortionist. Dockside extortionist goes to vocational school and learns a trade. Lockside extortionist. Dockside extortionist uh, attends a Star Trek convention in Vulcan cosplay. Spockside extortionist. Enters rooms unannounced and constantly barges in on people. Knockside extortionist. Goes to France and finds his girlfriend with a suave Frenchman. Jacques-side extortionist. Has bad taste in footwear, but hey, at least they're comfy. Crockside extortionist. Won't shut up on Twitter. Blockside extortionist. Let's get all the way back. Brad says he gives up piracy for a more modern fashion influencer lifestyle. TikTok side extortionist. <laughs> Love it. I needed that in my life. It's been, a, it's been a long and difficult week, we'll say. And then from at Savantir, this card is uber nonsense. The card being Dermotaxi from Modern Horizons 2, which is a vehicle that's also a reanimator payoff, and I love it. But the comments are so nice. It says, a streetcar named Dermo, from Brian Sharp. 
Colton says he's just here to give you a lift, Scott. To which Scott replied, I can't take puns right now. They're too taxiing. To which Colton replied, oh, I'm just going along for the ride. <laughs> oh, what do we got here? Do we have any more? Speedy car music intensifies. I hear it's got a lot of trunk space. <laughs> great. It's great. And then most recently, uh, at CMassive13 said swords to timeshares on the card Suspend for Modern Horizons 2, which exiles a creature and puts two time counters on it. If it doesn't have Suspend, it gains Suspend. By the way, this thing's going to be everywhere, but that's a discussion for another day. Uh, swords to timeshares. I just, I love it. Oh, the comment. I missed that comment. Chandra says, where'd he go? Jace says, oh, I sent him to a meeting about timeshares in Zendikar. To which Liliana replies, darling, that's evil even by my standards. <laughs> love it <laughs> swords to timeshares <sighs> anyway that's all i've got for this week everybody i hope you enjoyed it uh you got questions comments concerns you can leave them down below in the comment section if you're on youtube or really any of them any of the places you can find this and just remember as we go forth back into the world Restrictions are starting to ease up a little bit. We've all been through a lot the last year. So laugh hard. Play magic. Be kind. And we'll catch you next week. Be safe, everybody.